For over 10 years, I couldn't get my productions to sound how I wanted, so I buried myself in online tutorials trying to figure out why, and even having some of the same tools as other producers and mixers I envied, my productions weren't coming even close. I've heard the term referencing get thrown around, and I thought I was referencing the right way myself, but I was totally wrong, and over time developed a referencing system that would help me produce any desired result. I'm excited to announce that you can now use this same system yourself in our new course, The Magical Guide to Referencing. This gives you the exact framework I've used and successfully taught hundreds of students through the years. If you're ready to stop chasing your mixing tail in circles and ready to understand any mix you hear to replicate those same results for yourself, you can find a link to the magical guide to referencing in the description wherever you're listening. See you there, my friends. Hello and welcome to Working in Music Sucks. My name is John Maciel and for almost two decades I've been working in the audio recording industry. I've worked with producers and mixers like Bo Rochelle, Joey Sturgis and Josh Newell and countless others on records with bands like Era, Census Fell and Mooseblood. And along this journey I've also worked with two of the biggest music educational companies where I helped thousands of aspiring engineers achieve their dreams of making music production a fulfilling full-time career. But as great as that sounds, to be honest, the first 10 years of working in music sucked. I started this podcast to talk about what sucks about working in music so others like myself who love music production and want to wake up every morning fulfilled and driven to making records people love can do just that. Working in music sucks, but with what we talk about on this podcast, it doesn't have to any longer. If that sounds like your cup of coffee, then you're in the right place, my friends. Let's get into it. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Working in Music Sucks podcast. And today's episode, I'm going to take a little bit different of approach to a topic that comes up often. And the reason for me taking a different approach is because having started from nothing and growing a home studio business into transitioning to working full-time in the audio, in audio industry, making records, um, there's like a discrepancy between recommendations that people make and a lot of lists of like start a studio for $500 or um, you don't need that much to get started, which is true um, to a degree. And this episode, I kind of want to put my spin on how I view things now, as opposed to how I used to, as well as some recommendations that I think are the type of things that you want to buy at the, as soon as you can at the start that you are going, that they're going to grow with you because one of my biggest pet peeves now further, like 20, almost 20 years into this journey is um, when you're told like, you don't need that much to get started and you know, you buy whatever's available to you. And by all means at the very, very start, you should buy whatever is available at an affordable price point so you can figure out if this vast rabbit hole <laughs> that we call audio engineering is a journey that you want to go on. Because I've known many, many people who jump in, buy everything, and then realize that this is actually really tough stuff to do. And within 12 to 24 months, they're just, uh, they're done. They're like, you know what? I'm better just, I, I'd rather just hire someone to do all these other things for me. And I think there's, that's like a vast majority of people who get started in audio. Not everyone is going to stick to it. And eventually many decide that it's not for them. And they rather just like hire people for different projects, which is great for you and me, because we're the ones who are sticking it out. What, meaning that we're going to be the ones that they come look for to hire and things like that. So that's a, that's a win for us. But that advice that generally goes out there 
is usually catered to those types of individuals to like test the waters. And then as their skills develop, go out and get other things. Now, I want to take a step back and like, let's imagine that you've done that. And now you're at the 12 to 24 months mark. And you're like, all right, I'm, I've gotten started. Right. Cause I like to think of it in terms of that. Like when you're first starting out the first 12 to 24 months of anything you try in life, that's always like the trial period of like, are you going to continue doing it? Right. And just like, think back to like any hobbies you might have that you started with. And then like within three to six months, they kind of died. Right. So my starting point in my mind is like, once you start something, you're not going to know if you're really going to stick to it until you've gone at it for at least 12, 24 months, one to two years. And I know that seems like, oh my God, like that's such a long time. But in reality, it goes by so quickly. Like you don't even realize it once you start, because if you are one of those individuals who like just hyper fixates, like you got your first audio interface and now it's like, that's all you can do and think about. Just like if you're a musician, once you get that guitar, it's all you can think about. Like it's like a, something comes over you and possesses you and you have to get it out. You have to practice, you have to play, you have to do whatever you need to do to grow and nurture that part of you. It's not like a, I wish I can turn it on, turn it off thing. It's like, it's just there gnawing at you. And that's a good thing. Like we, we need to have that if we're going to survive in this industry, like that level of curiosity and needing to feed your soul with the creative stuff that we're doing. And if you if you play an instrument, if you sing, if you've done anything, you know that before you know it, you look back, you're like, damn, it's been like a year I started this or two years. That's the starting point, my friends. Like, that's the hard reality is like, that's the starting point of like actually figuring out like, oh, I don't like mixing. I like recording. Oh, I actually want to just write songs. Like, it takes a little bit of time for us to get to those epiphanies, but we do get there. So let's say you've been doing audio for like a year or two, and now you're like, okay, my personas interface, no, no hate to personas, but you're like, my personas interface isn't really, uh, it's not doing it for me anymore. My, my two, my two by two or my focus, right? Like they were great starting out, but now I'm, 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 I feel like I'm missing things. Like it's, it's not where I want to go. And then you go into forums and you're typing like, what do you recommend for like an audio interface and all this stuff? Now, this is where this list that I have of things, it's going to be pretty simplified, but I'm going to go off my experience and basically turn it into like the quickest way to funnel things to, so that you spend less time on the forums. And hopefully this gives you a list that you're like, okay, this is actually like, I can focus on getting these things and just, that's all I have to worry about. Cause when I started out, I did the same thing. I got those like recommendations, those lists. Two years later, I remember asking so many people in so many forums, like, hey, what are you guys using for this? What do you recommend? And then you get like 300 comments of everyone's opinion, right? And <laughs> to shuffle through all that is quite exhausting. Now, with my past experience working for other educational companies, I've seen a lot of the same things come up, a lot of the same products and things that I definitely feel strongly that if you're someone who is at the starting stage, you're 12 to 24 months in, you know you're going to do this. You know that you want you want to you you want to just spend the money once, right? There's there's no need to like every year to your upgrade. You're like I just want to spend the money once and forget about it and know it's going to grow with me. So, let's take care of like the easy stuff, the software, right? Um 
So in my experience, and I think this is going to come to no surprise, the FabFilter bundle, it might cost a little bit. And if you're a student, I believe they do an educational discount. I forgot what it is. That is probably the biggest powerhouse set of just tools in terms of plugins that you're going to see used everywhere by everyone. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with FabFilter, and it's not for the company or anything. It's just the people blindly just use them and trust the analyzers and things and don't really listen. But, I mean, they're so they're so nice to look at. You can't help it, and I get it. But in terms of what the bundle offers, like you have a great world class limiter. You have one of you have I think the the leading like uh, parametric EQ in the industry that just about everyone has, and then you have um, a very versatile like compressor that has different algorithms in it. You have a pretty great deesser. It's I think there are better deessers, but it's a pretty good one. Um, their new delay plug or the updated delay plugins really great. There's just a lot of very useful plugins. And actually I can't like move on without saying like Saturn is probably the most powerful plugin in my opinion. I think Saturn could rival Pro-Q3 in terms of just how versatile it is once you understand saturation harmonics. Uh, I couldn't imagine mixing without Saturn 2. I can imagine myself mixing without Pro-Q3 but I cannot imagine myself mixing without Saturn too. Um, but in general, that bundle, it, it, it the price tag, you look at it and you're like, oh crap, that's so much money. But trust me, what, if you save up and that is the first bundle you get, even if you stick to your 2i2 or whatever you have, you stick to that and you just focus on getting that, that focus, right? Or that uh, fat filter bundle, that is going to grow with you the rest of your career. When they drop new versions, you just get updated. But that is one of the best investments in your career and in your audio journey you could ever make. Now, the next one is they're like an indie company. And what I love about them is the price is the price. <laughs> like it does not fluctuate. It does not change. And it's the Valhalla plugins. Um, they have some free stuff. The super massive is a free one. That's really cool on like creating weird atmospheric sounds, but on like lead guitars, you can get some really, really extreme gnarly sounds. Um, but their entire line of plugins, the room, the shimmer, uh, vintage verb, uh, their delay, they just, they're, they're, they're the plate, their plugins, just have a different characteristic and sound than any other reverb and delays that are out there. And I know that's really, really strange because you're like, well, it's reverb and, reverb and delays, but they have very unique characteristics. And they also are plugins that I've seen in so many sessions. Like I bought these plugins because they were in so many sessions. I was like, okay, I need to for sure get shimmer and vintage verb. Um, and then eventually I got room and play. And then I got the delay as soon as it came out. And then every time I would get a session to mix prep, one of those plugins have, I want to say 90% of sessions that I get, one of those plugins is in there, just like with the fat filter stuff. It's just, okay, these are what's commonly used. And because they're only $50 a pop, that won't really set you back, you know, like 250 and you have the full line and you're, you're all set for a while. And like, even if you don't get the, the fat filter bundle and you just focus on getting the Valhalla vintage, uh, the Valhalla plugins you, for 250, you're going to have like some really great like world-class plugins to use with their stock plugins. But that would be the second set that I would recommend. 
Next on the list is probably kind of going to be of no surprise, uh, but the Chris Lord Algae Signature Series Bundle from Waves. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen CLA vocals, CLA effects, and CLA bass in mix sessions. And the and the reason I recommend the whole bundle is because the drum, that one comes in handy if you're in a tight bind and you just need to get the drums to sound great. Throw that on your kick, your snare, or whatever. Start messing with stuff, and I swear it's it, it, it's like a cheat code to gain a production to sound really good. But what I love about it uh, personally is that if you're a songwriter or you're tracking a lot of bands, there is no better feeling than putting one of these plugins on a source and just messing with a few knobs. And then you kind of like have it dialed in to where the band is enthusiastic about where the song can go potentially. And it's just, they're just, they just do something that it's so simple. It's ridiculous. But they're one of those bundles that I've seen so many times. There's like, I think, an acoustic version uh, called Unplugged or something in that bundle, too, that I've seen a lot on like acoustic, like pianos, um, acoustic guitars. And little fun fact, the CLA Guitars plugin, I actually see that one used a lot on like synths and stuff, which makes sense because of like the mid-range. But that bundle, 100% worth every single penny. I've seen it used so much. I've used it so much. I cannot recommend... Uh, picking it up when it's like 60 bucks or something with waves when they're always doing their sales. One of the best 60 bucks you'll ever spend. It'll grow with you. People are not going to stop using it there at this point. I would like to, I feel very strongly that those are going to be like how we have classic hardware gear. Those are going to be like classic plugins that people own. Um, just like everyone, uh, all the other ones I've mentioned. Next one is going to be, uh, again, I've seen this one in so many sessions and I think it's a pretty much a staple. Like you cannot be in this industry without owning this plugin and a lot of the expansions. And that's the uh, Steven Slate Trigger. And this one, if you don't know what this plugin is, is if you're trying to sample drums, this one is probably the, the standard in the industry. There's the IK, no, not IK, Native Instruments Battery, which I use myself. But there are a lot of like, third-party drum samples that they make TCIs for, which is what Trigger uses to uh, trigger a, a, a drum sample, essentially, that has m multiple layers in it. And it's just one of those, I just think it's one of those you can't avoid having. And every once in a while, it goes on sale for like 50 bucks, I think it is. But getting that and all the expansions has been really helpful. But I will say um, the standard deluxe, Bundle is what I've seen most with the Chris Lord Algae expansion. Every once in a while, um, I think it's the Terry Date one will make an appearance, but that's like, I, I can count on one hand how many times I've seen that in a session. The CLA and the Deluxe and the Standard Pack, I've seen that so many times. So that's going to be a good investment. And then sticking to the, to the drum theme, because... Drum samples and productions are and drum and drum instruments are one are like used so often. Um, tune tracks, Superior Drummer Three, and again, I know it's expensive. Uh, that one with why am I blanking? Uh, the Avatar New York Kit, which is like New York Kit Volume One, uh, the Progressive Foundry expansion, and I believe it's the Bob Rock one. And 
I'm totally blanking on the other one. What is it? It's not the Bob Rock. Why am I blanking on it? I use it all the time. Oh, Metal Machinery. Those packs I've used, seen countless records. Um, you, you're going to get your miles if you spend it on those samples. Um, if you want something that's similar, uh, that has come up a few times, the Room Sound Library has some from like Kurt Ballou and Bo Rochelle. Those are pretty good as well. Um, I've seen those a handful of times, but the Superior Drummer stuff, I think that when it comes to drum samplers and triggering uh, like sample drums along with Steven Slate, those are like the two that I see used the most often and have seen in several sessions. Uh, all right. So now we got drums out of the way. Let's talk about, Oh, another effect bundle that 100% is worth every penny. And I've seen in every session in some capacity, and that's the sound toys uh, effects rack bundle. I believe it comes with all the individual plugins and like an effects rack where you can create like a signal chain essentially, but sound toys in general, those plugins, I want to say, I see one more than the other. They just all get used everywhere. It's like they get spammed in the mix. Uh, Echo boy is a huge one. Decapitator is a huge one. Devil lock is a huge one. Little altar boy is a huge one. The Psyche is a huge one. Um, Filter Freak, one and two are big ones. Like I can literally name every single one and they get used in some capacity in all sorts of mixes. I've never pulled up a session and not seen one plugin from them in there, just like with Fat Filter. So that's a pretty... That bundle also has can do some crazy cool sound effects and things like that. And I remember when I finally bought that bundle, I was just like, how did I wait so long to buy this? Like, I've never made, I've never done my own sessions without three, no, like four or five of their plugins, if not more. It's just whenever I need certain sounds, I know that sound toys has them, but whenever I want to create different soundscapes and things personally, and with other producers I've worked with, when you go and when you have the sound toys, it really opens up like where, how far you can take different types of sounds and manipulate the audio. It's great. So now that we got kind of that baseline, there's, I've kind of really had to think about in terms of like guitar and bass in the box amp symptoms. And there are a lot more products now than there used to be, but I was really, you know, having an inner struggle with myself because one, the, the, the way I was leaning is a way I normally don't lean because uh, I personally am not a huge fan of the subscription plugin model. I think it's great when you're first starting out like that first year or two that I mentioned, figuring out what you're going to use and what you like, and then making a commitment after that and just buying it flat out. But I do believe that there is value in the Tone Hub all access subscription. And if you're not familiar with Tone Hub, it's made by a company called STL Tones. And they make um, basically essentially like virtual profiles, like a virtual Kemper Ampson plugin. And if you're already like, oh, that sounds disgusting, hear me out. So the cool part about Tone Hub is that it's based on producers and guitarists and bands that have particular sounds, right? And they create a pack and that has guitar tones and it has bass tones in each pack. And it's ever expanding. They're constantly growing the library. Now, 
if you're figuring out the genres you want to work in, or maybe you have the question, what amp sim should I buy? What bass sims should I buy? I think this is the best way to kind of figure out what your sound is the fastest. And what I mean by that is like a lot of people will buy all these amp sims that go on sale and then they don't use them after a year or after six months, right? Like it's the fear of missing out. You buy it then you realize you actually can't use that in what your productions are or what your style is, or you end up figuring out you're doing too many weird EQ moves. It's just a whole rabbit hole, right? With the Tone Hub subscription, why I feel it's like such a great way to go in that regard is you get access to all these like kind of pre-made guitar tones and amp, and amp tones that are much easier for you to put into a session. But it also shows you like the mic, the amp, the cab, and the pet and the pedal you work enough through the next year or two, or as you're growing, you realize like, you know what? I tend to always reach for a 5153 style amp. Why don't I just like see if there's a good amp SIM that's a 5153 or buy an amp. So I have one and then I buy a load box and now I have the real physical thing or, you know, maybe there's a couple amps like that. You start figuring out like, Oh, I like these sounds and it's less about, you know, buying all these amp sims, it's like, it's saving you in the long run from buying a bunch of amp sims you end up not using. Cause I have a whole, I'll have a whole crap ton of amp sims and I only use a few, but I gotta be honest with the tone hub stuff. I'm so lazy. 99% of the time, I just find a pack that works in there and use that. And if it's like, okay, I like this sound, but I don't like the settings that I'm kind of stuck with. Then I'll like, look, oh, I have that type of amp sim. Let me go like use this amp sim. Let me find a cab that works. And then I can go and tinker a little bit further down that rabbit hole. But if you're someone who ha doesn't have much experience with amps or you don't even want to think about amps, you just want to get to mixing and all the fun stuff. And you'd rather just leave the, essentially the engineering and producing to a guitar tone to someone else. I think the tone hub packs are a great way to go for the subscription because of how much stuff you get. So that, and because it's bass and guitar, it knocks that all out. Now, the next one is probably one of the most important tools that I have. I, I don't know if I've used any other piece of software besides my DAW as much as this one piece of software. Um, and it's Melodyne Studio. Now, a lot of people like to go with like the essential or the very um, beginner friendly one. I remember I just went straight for studio because it had like multi-track capabilities. And I think it was in Melodyne four where you could see like the ghost notes. So like basically you could put them all on track and then you can record, uh, then you have to press play and record the vocal audio into Melodyne. But then after you tune the main vocal, you can have it as a ghost track, which means like you can see the, the blurbs or the little bowl, uh, like blobs, and then they're all gray. And then the vocal track you're working on is colored orange. And you can make sure that you're in time as closely as possible and in tune as closely as possible to the original as you're tuning it. And the reason I like studio is because of that. But also now most DAWs have, uh, I believe it's called the AR, ARA2 technology. So basically what the DAWs can do now with Melodyne is you hit some hotkeys it analyzes the audio in really pretty fast real time in Melodyne, but it opens up a new window and then you can tune right there and then close it out. And it doesn't act as a plugin. It's like its own separate window within your DAW. And a lot of DAWs are doing this now. And I believe Pro Tools just added it. So now 
instead of having to reach for Melodyne Studio, I just enable the window and then I can tune and then back out. And as I'm working or mixing, if something's like out of tune or out of pitch, literally pull up that part on that window for Melodyne because I have the studio license and I can just adjust all within the parameters of the window. And there's a lot of other perks to having the studio version that I'm not going to get into on this episode, but I think just spending the 700 bucks for that piece of software for tuning, if, if you get like three or four tuning jobs, for vocals, like it'll pay for itself right away. And it, it's saved me so much time just having the studio version in my life. I can't, I I couldn't imagine not having it with how many nights I would have never gone sleep because I was tuning vocals until two in the morning. And if had, if I had the other alternative versions, that would have been a much longer, more rigorous process. So now we've got that out of the way. Now let's talk about some gear. And I mentioned some interfaces earlier, like the the two the 2X2 two from Personas or the 2i2. And there's a whole bunch of companies, and those are all great beginner uh audio interfaces. I don't want to trash them because it helped it helped it helps people get, you know, to the point to where they want to continue with audio. But I do believe that once you've hit that mark. A lot of people see audio interfaces and they see the price tag first and not the expandability and value first. And two companies that I think have the best quality in terms of input and output, expandability, DSP built into their devices and oh, expandability, and also just how they're, the the components that they put inside of their devices and the clarity that you can get from them. I think that Antelope Audio and Universal Audio both are neck and neck. Um, Universal Audio has way more of an ecosystem than Antelope Audio, but they're both really good ecosystems. And with Antelope Audio, they now have the Zen series, which is very comparable to the Universal Audio Apollo series. But I truly believe that going this route, even though it's more expensive, is going to be better in the long run than going with anything, I don't want to say lesser value, but anything that's more affordable. Because these are more prosumer type audio interfaces. So you're going to, they're just going to respond better. And also they they have like a monitor, they're slanted. So they have like monitor controllers. And one thing with audio interfaces that a lot of people don't pay attention to is one, the headphone amp that they use. So well, that's when you connect your headphone, how, how much like power is coming from the audio interface to your headphones, to, to your ears. And a lot of audio interfaces, they, they take the cheap cut on that one. So what that means is that you won't, the signal won't be a hundred percent shielded. Sometimes you hear like weird interference and stuff like that from the cabling and the coupling that's used inside of the audio interface. But also when you start moving the, the volume on the headphone, you start noticing sometimes that there's like jumps. It's like you don't hear a jump, but all of a sudden it's like the swell of volume changes. It drifts a little bit more aggressively as you go up. So it's like, you have to find that sweet spot. And the same thing with the monitor control. When you're listening on monitors, a lot of audio interfaces, when you do the main out, you get the same type of like you move it by one and instead of the volume gradually raising, you feel like these little swells in volume control, like kind of like a wave go up and up and up. And with the universal audio and the antelope audio, what I've noticed is that they're pretty freaking smooth on both 
outputs when you're adjusting in terms of how the gain ar architecture works when you're monitoring. And that's a big thing that once your ears start getting developed and you're monitoring for longer hours, you want to lower the volume, but you don't want the perception of volume dips to happen, which it's hard to explain until you hear it. And hopefully you've never had to experience this or your ears, um, or not, or your ears, but, or your ears haven't developed enough to hear it. But when you're bringing down the volume, you want it to just be like, you just want the volume going down. But when you hear like these little weird fluctuation dips, it's not, it's just like, oh, you lost some gain just from moving it like a, just barely moving your your knob. And it's really frustrating when you're trying to like really dial in like at low volumes and like hear your mix and then barely turn it, barely turn it to see what's starting to pop out. But if you're having these shifts in audio and the volume and the gain staging and what the companies use in their audio interfaces at low volumes when you're trying to like really dial in your mix and all that stuff, it's extremely frustrating. And um and even with like external monitor controllers unless you're spending a good amount of money, even those have suffer from the same problem. Even if you send like a spit if output into them and all that stuff. So there's just a lot there. So I think that's one of those little, I guess dorky audio facts about audio, audio interfaces. Like how does the volume knob change as you progressively add or decrease um, the amount of gain that's coming in and out of your, your monitors? Next, let's talk about monitors. So personally for me, ever since I discovered the Cali Audio IN8s, I have been absolutely enthralled. So I used to have the JBL 308s for a very, very, very long time. And I also am very familiar with like the barefoot monitors and the Quested's. Bo used them and I was, I was working at his studio. So I just got very used to the, how those sounded and then how they, how I would remember, like after you listen to so many hours of music on a set of monitors and another set, you just start knowing the differences in the monitors and the JBLs were good, pretty good. And then they came out with the second version of theirs. And I just remember like not being stoked. I tried the HS eights, the Yamaha's not stoked. Um, my problem, what I liked about the JBLs was like the clarity and the delay and reverb decays that I could hear that were similar to what I was hearing on the like five, $10,000 monitor, like $20,000 monitor pair type, uh, type thing. But the HS8s, I noticed that there was not a lot of clarity in the reverb and delay trails and it, dri and it drove me nuts because with effects, that's where monitors really show their true value. Um, and I tried some Atoms, wasn't stoked on them. Um, I tried the Focals, those were okay. Uh, and I tried the Cali IN8s on a whim, and I was blown away. And I, what I didn't realize at the time is they had a coaxial design. And basically that's just fancy terms too. It's a very even sound that's going to hit your ears all across. And just their design is really, really smooth. But... Um, what I didn't know was that the team who designed the original JBLs that I loved actually left JBL and they all like the whole engineering team went to go do their own thing and started Cali audio. So I was just like, Oh, that's really funny that the monitors I used to love. Now this is like the next evolution from that same, uh, family or whatever. Uh, it was, it was a really cool fact. 
So the ion the ion 5s and ion 8s I just I can't recommend them enough. I think those are a great set of monitors that will grow with you until you can finally get to the point to where you can drop 5 to 10k on a monitor and get yourself a pair. So you're spending like 10 to 20k on monitors. And by that time, you're going to have, you know, a whole studio room, panels, all that stuff set up. So spending that much on monitors because of how busy you are for work isn't going to be a big deal. And I don't I, I can't think of any monitors right now that aren't in the least 2,500 range that can compete with the INAs. Personally, that's just based off my experience and experience of other engineers that I know have them and also think the same way. It's like they have them as like their B monitors, but it's like B monitors and they have their nicer like um, Neumann monitors. And on any given day, they just might mix on the Callies instead of the, the, the Neumann, which is pretty interesting to me. But uh, I believe the Neumanns, are 25 to 5,000 range also. So that's where the, the lines of comparability lie. Headphones. Now, I know a lot of people love Sennheisers and Shures. Personally, I could never get into them. I wanted to. I really, really wanted to. Um, I rocked some Sonys for a long time, but I was never in love with them. I was just like, yeah, this is fine. And then uh, a buddy of mine recommended that I check out some Olo Audio headphones. And I got a set of the S4Rs, which are more meant for recording and not so mixing because they're closed back. But those have easily been like, I love mixing and listening to stuff through these headphones. They just have a very like flat, even response for, for my taste. And my, I forgot which Bayer Dynamics headphones but my buddy had a set and honest his his set i think was like six or no like six or eight hundred dollars i can't remember the name which which set it was but his headphones and the olos were like pretty comparable and he loved his headphones and when he heard the olos he was like i think i actually want a pair of those because they have a little bit better uh mid mid range imaging than they do on these ones and i think it was like a it was like a two to four, maybe $600 difference somewhere in between there, between what he had spent on his to these Olos. Um, and a lot of my engineering friends who have picked up the Olos really, really like them as well. I tried the, uh, what was it? The, um, Odysseys, I think they're called. I forgot. I think it was the LCD ones that I've tried on those and I just could not get into them. I really, really tried to get into them because a lot of the pros that I like are using their headphones. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get a set, try them out. And I just was like, I don't know what they're hearing that I'm not hearing, or maybe like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I mean, if it was a one, one solution problem, then we'd all be using the same monitors and headphones, right? Because we'd all have the same ears. So the Olos, I, I personally highly recommend. I love them. I think they're great. Uh, I have had zero desire to check out any other headphones since having them and acquiring them. And the last thing on this list that, well, there's two things. If you're doing screaming music or I think in general, <laughs> the one of the best mics to have for vocals or anything is going to be a Shure, SM, a Shure SM7B microphone. It's just one of those mics that for screams is great. For some vocalists, it just works. It there's like it's just it just works for some vocalists. So it's one of those that have it around, 
It comes in handy. It's the one you see people use in other types of podcasts. It's not this one. <laughs> it's the other one that has like that like cushion looking front. But another one that I think is really powerful that a lot of people start uh, that will grow with people until they're ready to invest in microphones because microphones cost a crap ton of money is the Slate Digital VMS ML1 diaphragm. And the reason that mic is really cool is because it has emulation of like different types of microphones. And I think when you're at that point, you don't know exactly what types of mics to invest in that are, um, that are going to like win 90% of the time. The power with this one is if you're working with a vocalist, you can easily change the, the, the type of microphone within the software for that vocalist to hear and see what works. And over time, as you work with more and more vocalists or you record more and more acoustic guitars or you just use it, you'll start to notice when emulations you tend to like or lean towards. Um, and then I think at that point, that's when you can start saving up for a microphone that's going to be your workhorse microphone or a couple of them that you know, like, yeah, no, I use these a lot of the time. Like, this is the way I go. But I think in terms of finding, like, the right microphone for, like, an acoustic guitar and a vocalist, it's really hard to go wrong with this one. And it's one of those that whenever someone asks me, what microphone should I get, I always just recommend this one. I'm like, either this or the SM7B. You can't go wrong with either of those. And... Over time, you can bring on a new microphone, but these this is going to be the best starting point. And man, that was a lot of stuff. Um, I will try to remember to put links in the descriptions wherever you're listening for all this stuff. It, they will be affiliate links. So, uh, well, not all of them, but some of them will be. No cost to you. I get a little bit of a kickback or just go Google search it and find it on your own. But I'll just put them in there in case you want to go find them. But I really think that once you get past that threshold of 12 to 24 months and you, and you know that this is something that you want to do, that you have to do, that you're going to do, then it's time to seriously invest in the right tools and not just buy things that are like the alternate versions of things. I, I, I've spent so I've wasted so much money on alternate versions of things that I should have just saved up the money and just bought flat out instead of what are alternates to this plugin? What are alternatives to this plugin? It's like, I'm now, I'm now at the place where I just say, if you're asking what the alternative is, just stop, save money and buy the actual thing. Because if you buy the alternative, you're still always going to be thinking of the other thing and you're going to be out 40 or 50 or a hundred bucks instead of just being more patient and waiting or finding more artists to work with so that you can get the funds to go and afford it. And I've talked about in another episode, if you're, wor if you're working as a business and you're organized as a business, then all this stuff goes towards business expenses at the end of the year, depending on what country you're in, in the U S for sure. Um, you just got to talk to your tax person and they will tell you what is up. So, you know, like I always say in every episode, working in music sucks because we don't get the insights and the information to this type of stuff when we have to learn learn the hard, hard, hard way too far in life <laughs> into our journeys instead of learning it at the beginning or having someone just tell us flat out. So with everything we talked about in this episode, hopefully it set you in the right direction so that you don't have to go through the pain of buying the wrong stuff that you end up not using and it just sits there. Like a lot of the stuff you can't resell, um, and get, or get anything anywhere near what you used to. So that said, 
I know working in music sucks, guys, but hopefully with what we talked about in this episode, it doesn't have to suck anymore, and you can put your money in the best places to help you in your career. Until next time, my friends.